Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome again to our podcast show. Um, the, I'm delighted to have everyone here. The goal of this show um, and the, the, this episode is to help anyone who is extremely passionate about persuasion, sales, and how they can get further in work and in life. So we're going to be covering every aspect on a system level when it comes to persuasion. So you'll see episodes from experts around the world in terms of health, focus, um, you know, the art of persuasion, the science of persuasion, sales best practices, even human behavior and body language. My guest today is someone who I am delighted to have on the show. And you know, it, it's not common that you, that I find someone in sales who shares my perspective on, on the importance of the uh, seller's mindset and the buyer psychology. So she's been in the sales game for 20 years um, and her experiences range from, you know, companies, FMCG companies, retail companies, charities, and branding agencies. Uh, she founded Sales Psych to help sellers and businesses think more like their buyers and shift away from the traditional ineffective sales approaches. Trust, you know, things like trust, mindset, well-being, you know, just some of the hallmarks of her philosophy on sales high performance. So please help me welcome someone who is not only a member of the Association of Business Psychology, but has also served as a board advisor to a mental health charity. Please help me welcome Huma Khan. Huma, um, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Really excited about uh, talking to you today. Well, like you I, said, I share your sentiments. It's not often you find someone who shares uh, similar perspectives and, and is definitely um, like-minded in terms of our views on, on what's important in sales. Yeah, and I, I'm really looking forward to the discussion, Huma, because I think we're going to really challenge our viewers and listeners today. And that's the idea, right? Because yeah. what, what may have worked even six months ago is not going to necessarily work today, right? Um, and uh, in my view, sales is still stuck in the 90s. So we have a big issue to deal with. So let's start with the first big question. Let's really go for it. What are your thoughts on the current state of sales at the moment? <laughs> um, a loaded question. So I'd say probably in one word, challenging, if not broken. Um, so I think we have, I mean, we, we have a number of challenges to contend with. Um, I think historically, uh, this is something that's probably still plaguing us today. We've got some shoddy kind of dog eat dog type of practices in sales, uh, which unfortunately are probably still practiced by some uh, individuals and organizations even today that I come across in my LinkedIn feed and maybe just kind of want to cringe. Um, so I think we continue as, as salespeople to kind of have that sort of sullied reputation of salespeople can't be trusted. Right. So that's kind of like the first starting point. So I think that really means that we're always starting on the back foot, uh, back foot uh, to start with. Um, and we kind of have to work twice as hard as as anyone else to to gain trust from our customers and our buyers. And then I think the pandemic now has actually further compounded this situation by instilling um, a greater sense of fear in salespeople. Certainly the ones that I've spoken to and even even, you know, speaking from my own experiences as well, um, you know, that's everything ranging from fear of uh, not meeting targets, uh, fear of losing uh, their job or facing redundancy, 
um, which all kind of leads to a fear of kind of speaking out against unrealistic uh, expectations or even job demands from, from employers at the moment, because everyone's kind of, you know, just trying to keep their job, basically. Um, and I think that is also having a further impact on mental health uh, and physical health as well, uh, and, and obviously well-being and as a result, subsequently performance. Um, and then, by the way, that's the same mindset that they're then taking into those customer conversations, right? So, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, there's, there's a few things going on, both historical as well as, as contextual in the current climate due to, due to COVID and the pandemic. There's a lot that you've covered there, all the way from, you know, the mental state and the, what the pandemic has exacerbated or even made worse in terms of speaking out against bad practices or unrealistic expectations. Um, You've talked about the fact that buyers aren't, um, you know, don't really trust salespeople or the sales profession. I think we, I think we know which which statistic you're referring to from from LinkedIn. I, I believe so. Um, let's start with the. Uh, actually, let's start with the exacerbation of unrealistic expectations. Because my first instinct was to was to, was to think, well, hasn't that always been the case? I mean, haven't haven't we in sales always depending and again this is dependent on the company and the culture of that business absolutely but as a whole haven't we always faced unrealistic expectations unrealistic demands of salespeople, which inherently pushes us to exhibit bad behaviors especially onto the buyers hasn't that always been the case or, or do you feel that COVID has made it significantly worse because from from my view i think it's just brought out and, and made even more starkly clear mm. what was always there that was bad. But maybe mm. you have a different view I'm, I'm interested to hear. Um, yes and no. I think, yes, there have probably always been, um, I'd say, possibly unrealistic expectations from salespeople, particularly from, uh, you know, the, 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 the hierarchy, essentially, the, the business that sets the sales targets. Um, you know, and I've worked in many organizations, many different types of organizations. And um, I think the common theme is that everyone wants double digit growth year on year on year on year, <laughs> you know, and there comes a point where you kind of go, okay, but, uh, you know, you have to understand a um, the, the nature of the business, the nature of the industry, the maturity of the business itself. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's not always feasible to continue to deliver year on growth right it's particularly not double digit year on growth uh you know you have to look at what's going on in the marketplace for example and i know organizations now that are still expecting double digit growth in you know with the backdrop of covid um now of course you know there's an artificial base from from last year anyway uh, artificially low base from last year due to the fact that you know we we would have seen across pretty much every organization bar some that benefited from covid um you know a, a huge and significant decline so arguably that double digit growth may be possible um but i think it's just the the mentality and and the mechanism of whether and how organizations set those goals what the purpose of those goals are uh, which are meant to be motivating um realistic uh, and challenging but achievable um, and in 
in some cases they are, and that's fantastic. You know, if uh, particularly where you've had the buy-in from salespeople, I'm a big fan of bottom-up uh, approaches to forecasting and target setting, uh, as well as the, the top-down, because quite often you get a, a top-down directive of, right, I want you to deliver X percent growth. And when you kind of ask your sales team, right, what do you think you're going to be able to do based on your knowledge, your experience, your history with these clients that you manage uh, or new business, et cetera, you know, and they come up with a totally different figure. You know, nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to not hit their targets. Nobody wants to not earn their bonus or their commission, which is often the mechanic that kind of uh, underpins the reward system that underpins setting these targets in the first place. Um, So it's kind of really about whether the goals are challenging, but also realistic and achievable because there comes a tipping point where if you go too far, they become demotivating. Right. So it has the absolute opposite effect. People switch off and they kind of go, actually, I've got hope in hell of achieving this. So why bother? Right. So it's got to be something that's kind of like, yeah, I can do this. It's going to be hard, but I can do it as opposed to I haven't got hope in hell. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the difference. And, I, and I, I wonder, I think my concern really with the COVID piece is really around. I wonder how many organizations are trying to recover lost sales. Uh, as a result of everything that's happened uh, in the past year, um, as well as the increase in costs and uh, you know cost of goods and cost of supply, et cetera, that we're seeing uh, across the board anyway, that are those targets really achievable and realistic and positively challenging and motivating, or are they just unachievable, in which case are they going to have the opposite effect and actually just demote, demotivate your sales staff and your sales team altogether? So let's unpack that in more detail. I, I was on a um, Franklin Covey call. Um, so the, the, basically the association of uh, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, Seven yeah. Habits of Highly Effective People. I was on that call yesterday mm-hmm. and there was a stat, which is a well-known stat, um, shared where you know, uh, companies that have highly engaged employees see a 21% improvement in profits. Forget mm-hmm. sales, just profits, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So already the sales would be far higher. Yeah. Um, so let's unpack what you just described there, because a lot of what you talked about is demotivating to the employees mm. uh, and to the salespeople. So where have you seen either sales leaders or business leaders do this in the right way? And let's go into the detail of probably how they do that. You already talked about bottom up forecasting and targeting, mm-hmm. not just top down. So there's kind of a, there's a kind of a calibration between the two. Mm. But let's go through the detail. How have you seen some of the best sales leaders and business leaders do this? And what do they start with? What are the what are the steps that you recommend? Yeah, and I think, you know, again, it's understanding first and foremost, the, the context of your your market, um, the, the competition, you know, what's actually happening in the in the marketplace. So, um actually understanding uh, so I remember when I was at Danone for example I was um, I was co-leading the business planning cycle for the entire organization uh, we you know helped uh, develop the uh, three-year stra- strategy plan which obviously spanned across all functions not just sales um, so marketing category etc and um, and one of the things that we introduced actually was customer feedback uh, which at that time was a totally um, missing component 
So we had um, feedback from our internal salespeople on how the uh, the sales plans and um, brand plans, etc., had landed with customers, but we never uh, had the feedback directly from the customers feeding into you know what they needed and and what their expectations were. You know that in itself was uh, you know a game changing <laughs> element to add into the the business planning process. Uh, and I, I would 100% urge anyone uh, and every organization, I'm, I'm doing this currently myself as well, you know, to speak to customers uh, about what their pressure points are. You know, it's not just about their needs and, you know, obviously the, the problems which are kind of, you know, standard when it comes to trying to, you know, sell uh, into organizations or, or customers understanding their, their needs and their, their challenges, but it's also just understanding their processes um, and their their kind of um, own pressures. So you know, as people, as individuals, uh, you know, what is it that they're tasked with delivering? You know, what is going to make their lives easier? You know, we should be helping our customers. What we do should be helping to make our customers' lives easier. Um, and I think that's one of the foundations of of that trust piece as well. You know, is what you do helping your customers and making their life easier or actually are you just adding complexity uh into their their day or their organization you know which is you know gonna then have the adverse effects so i think one of the main things really for me is about understanding your market understanding your customer and and building that in to the process right from the start you know because from that you may understand and you may unearth you know, issues around their budgets, issues around their business, issue, issues around their supply chain, issues around their challenges that you may have in your head that this customer is going to be, you know, one of your highest uh, growing uh, customers in this year. Um, but in reality, they've got some challenges within their own organization, which mean that even with the best will in the world, that's never going to happen. So straight away, you've got, you know, if you're setting your, your salespeople's targets with this vision in mind that I'm going to grow them by, you know, 50% this year, and the customer's kind of going, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> um, because we've got a big restructure going on at the moment, you know, and we're having to like get rid of about half of our staff. Um, you know, budgets are all on hold. We have no idea, you know, when we're going to be able to unlock anything. You know, straight away, you're setting that poor salesperson, account manager, account director, whatever it is, up for a up for a fall, right? So they're going to be scrabbling around, then displaying all the wrong behaviors, you know, using some of those pressure tactics, you know, probably annoying the hell out of their, their customer, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to get them to buy stuff um, without really understanding the context uh, as to why, you know, and what's going on for that customer that's 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 the reason why they aren't in a position to be able to, you know, um, engage with you or buy from you or, or, or even continue trading as they were previously, right? So I think starting with the customer, I think, is always is the important bit. Um, and then, as I, as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've then looked at, um, you know, to my own kind of best in class processes that I've I've used um particularly where I was working for, for one of the kind of leading uh, agencies um we used to we used to have an issue where we would consistently have a you know a, a sort of reactive approach to gap fill you know it's kind of a common phenomenon in sales you know you set targets you know often potentially unrealistic targets or you know things change 
you know, uh, the market is always dynamic, as we know, competition is dynamic, as we know. So things change and, you know, suddenly you're not on target and then there's a gap to fill. Um, so you're then kind of, you know, again, scrabbling around, kind of going, right, we need to close this gap. Again, usually drives complete opposite behaviors and sales salespeople. Uh, because again, now they're, they're operating from a, from a place of fear, uh, you know, missing their targets, not achieving their bonus, not being able to, you know, pay for whatever it was that they wanted to pay for the holiday, the kids, the, you know, the, 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 the extension, the new windows, whatever it was that they'd earmarked that bonus for, um, you know, or even just actually surviving, right, for some people. So, you know, straight away, they're, they're then going around sort of operating from a place of fear. Uh, and, and, you know, displaying some of the, the negative behaviours that are actually going to have the opposite effect to actually growing sales. And so what I introduced with my team um, and um, uh, by the way, that was uh, as a result of that, we, we I still hold one of the track records of delivering five consecutive quarters of budget beating growth. And the budget was not a soft target, right? It was a it was a pretty pretty high target. Um, so so I know it works. Uh, you know, we took a really proactive approach to contingency planning, and that's something that I I teach even in some of the psychological concepts of hope, which is all around uh, goal setting and goal planning and adaptability and contingency planning. It's it's looking at alternative routes um, to achieving your goal in advance of actually starting on that journey of, uh, you know, achieving your goal. So you might have path A, you know, which is probably the most direct, you know, and, you know, tried and tested path um, to, to get to your goal. But if something goes wrong and path A is not working and you now suddenly have a gap to that target, most people come unstuck because they haven't thought of a path B or a C or a D or an E and now they're under time pressure, right? So because now they've only got like a month before the quarter ends and they've got to close that gap. So actually, even though they might have come up with path B and D and C and E, there's not enough time to get there, right? Because they've got, to, they've had to do all the thinking. They've got to now, you know, they're starting from the back foot. Whereas if you start with uh, that approach in the first place, so, you know, at the start of the year, you know, when you're setting your goals, you've got your goal in mind, you then kind of go, right, how am I going to achieve this goal? Okay, this is, the, this is how we're going to achieve it. But okay, let's just have a think about what are all the things that could possibly go wrong? What are all the things that might possibly derail us? You know, even if we haven't had that feedback from the customer, let's just think ourselves outside the box and think about all the things that could possibly go wrong. And what can we do to try and overcome that? So that when and if that happens, we're not sitting there going, ah, I hadn't thought of that. Now what do I do? Right. We already go, ah, OK, we've got a plan for that. So let's start executing that plan. And that is kind of the approach that, that I've taken that has led to um, a lot of success in the past. So I had three main things there, Huma. Uh, number one is know your customers understand yeah. who they are take the time to learn about them and i'm going to come on to that one because it's, it's a it's a problem that really annoys me and i don't understand why it's, it's still an issue for b2b companies b2c yeah. is a different animal yeah yeah um the second one is um you know build build a plan around 
the fact that you've understood your customers, right? Um, that is going to be a critical point of your bottom-up target and forecasting uh, calculations because you might have an expectation that we're going to grow this company by X percent, but actually there's something going on in their business that's, that's going to make that probably unrealistic or it's going to take longer to get there. Yeah. Not because of your lack of sales skills, but quite frankly, there are forces outside of your control that can impact it. And that makes sense. The third part, uh, I had a lot about, I heard a lot there about the psychology, but more around the planning. So I've always said that the most successful salespeople, even in fact, the most successful business people, high performers are paranoid. And when I say paranoid, I don't mean in the negative misconception of what paranoia is rather than be what I call delusionally positive mindset, mm -hmm. they're actually optimistic, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a difference. Yeah. Um, or as uh, I call, uh, as I talk about actually in a lot of my practices, um, realistic optimism. Realistic optimism, yeah. exactly, right? And, and rather than just be positive all the time, which is delusional, say it's going to be okay, we're going to find a way, we're going to find a way. The most successful salespeople and most successful business people I've found in my research and actually things I've practiced are, what are the risks? Okay, we know that it might go well, mm. right? Uh, but what are the risks that could impact that? And more importantly, if those risks happen, do we have a plan that we can execute very quickly and confidently mm. rather than we have to figure it out and scrabble around and, and just almost kind of react in a way that's high pressure? Mm. Do we have a plan for when that situation will occur and how, are we comfortable and clear on how we're going to execute on that? Yeah. Those are the kind of the three things that I, I caught from what you said. And that was really interesting. And there's a segue that you've kind of created for us, which are two things I really want us to cover today. And that is the buyer psychology or buyer's yeah. understanding and the seller's psychology. And these are two things that I think are so badly left out or misunderstood yet they are so crucial to the sales process because at the end of the day it is a human to human interaction it is a psychology to psychology interaction so let's start with the buyer side why is it that salespeople in b2b right and business and business in general why are the average salespeople so bad at understanding their customers and by that i mean if you ask someone tell me about your ideal customer profile Mm. They will give you very superficial answers, such as it's a FMCG company that sells, has one, one to $1.5 billion of revenue per year. They have this type of outfit and they are across these particular regions or geographical markets. No mention of the human being, no mention of the KPIs that this human being is adhering to, mm. no mention of their bonuses, no mention of how they're being promoted, no, yeah. all the things that actually they, they're coming to work to do, right? Um, you know, what is it that, what are their human needs, such as significance or, or what are their values? No mention of that. Why do you feel it's so bad for salespeople to understand that? Uh, I mean, it's, I just don't think, you know, as you say, I just don't think it's fully understood. And um, certainly not in the sales environment. I think marketeers have a better grasp of consumer psychology from a brand uh, advertising perspective so you know I've been to many many um, sort of marketing kind of uh, uh, events and, and conferences where I've heard you know psychologists and consumer psychologists specialists in that field talking about you know how they apply that to the uh, brand campaigns and to, to marketing and you know in order to persuade people to buy 
uh, you know, from their homes or from their sofa, you know, uh, et cetera. So, and it, you know, I always find that really fascinating, you know, and, um, and then I kind of think, well, so but why don't we do that in the business to business environment? Why aren't we applying that same logic, that same philosophy to the business to business environment? Because, you know, <laughs> as, you know, in the simplest terms, we are human beings first before we are representatives of products, services, or organizations. And we ignore that at our own peril, right? So that for me is, you know, where the sales functions are so far behind. Um, and whilst I think it sort of seems to me that it's kind of been disguised or masked in this sort of term customer centricity, you know, everyone's jumped onto that bandwagon, you know, uh, been widely adopted by many organizations, uh, many sales organizations. And they kind of think, well, yeah, job done. We're, you know, we're, we're customer centric. We've asked customers for feedback, um, you know, so, uh, and, and that's the kind of sum of their, their kind of uh, philosophy around what customer centricity is. Uh, you know, so its primary focus is, um, you know, in sales training and in, in um, all of the literature and, and communications that I see is all around understanding customer needs from an organizational perspective. Right. So what's the problem that uh, is facing the organization as opposed to the individual? Right. Um, and there is little, if not, I would say, arguably no recognition of the human needs uh, and motives um, or, or even emotions of the buyer representing the organization. And as I, as I mentioned, we are first and foremost, unless you're buying online. OK, uh, and that's a whole different <laughs> you know segment but you know it's unless you're buying online you are dealing with whether you're talking to a business whether you're talking to a consumer uh, whether you're in retail whether you're in you know uh, charity it doesn't matter you're talking to a human being first uh, before you are talking to uh, products services organizations um, and I think that is a real disconnect and I've seen it fall apart on many occasions. You know, there's a reason why, um, you know, I, I, in my career, I have been asked to step onto accounts uh, to turn around broken relationships because the buyer has refused to trade with us, the organization at the time, as a result of a relationship breakdown with the, the prior person. You know, and and... So if you don't understand that dynamic of how important the person is, I see, I've seen, you know, I've recently seen on LinkedIn kind of people, you know, talking quite a lot about um, how the salesperson, you know, is kind of becoming redundant. Uh, you know, most transactions are, are, are moving online. True, we do do a lot of buying online. There's no doubt about it. You know, uh, and and uh, likability and trust. You know, these things don't really have a place, uh, or, or, or are over embellished or over exaggerated. You know, because actually, it all just comes down to, you know, are you servicing the pro uh, the, the customer? Are you delivering uh, something that they need and want uh, at a fair price? And all of those things are true. So yes, of course, you do need to be delivering a product or service uh, that solves a problem for the client, uh, you know, in their business that they're representing. Um, so I'm not discounting that, but I think to discount and ignore the human being that you're dealing with first is 
uh, I would say foolish. <laughs> and that's why I say you ignore that at your own peril, because, you know, essentially I know for, you know, from, from so many of my own personal experiences that, that people will not buy from someone that they don't like, trust, um, and, uh, you know, that is, that is first and foremost, the biggest hurdle that you kind of have to get over before you then move into the, the space of, okay, how does this, this product or service solve my business need and challenge and all of those, you know, other things, which are really important, you know, so, uh, hundred percent, you know, sales processes, the sales cycle, you know, you know, I know inside out. Yes. You need to know those things. They are foundational. You know, it's important to have that solid grounding in sales, um, capabilities uh processes systems you know uh, and the whole sales cycle but uh the bit that's missing for me uh still to today is the acknowledgement of the human being in the process i have to say all those people that you mentioned that are sharing such information on linkedin about trust etc and, and likability is going to become is, is less important I, you know, I, I'm, I don't care how controversial it is, that they, they, they haven't done their homework at all. Uh, yeah. They have not, I, I would wager for you to come to that answer, you haven't spoken to a single B2B buyer because yeah. I've interviewed over 400, in fact, it's close to 418 now. And, and still at 418, I thought this would degrade after time. Every one of them, when asked, what made you select this salesperson versus someone else to do business with, whether it's a competitive bid or an uncompetitive bid uh every one of them have used either the word trust or honesty yeah. in their description right everyone right so it's hugely important um why don't we tackle how it might be harder at a system business level to bring that in that's a very big discussion but what can the individual salesperson do those who are very interested in doing this the right way what could they do uh, to start learning more about the customer, their buyers, and that buyer's psychology. What quick tips can you give them to help them on that journey? I was going to say, speak to someone like you or me. <laughs> so listen to this podcast. Um, so <laughs> there is, you know, as, as there always is, that, that um, accountability, I guess, you know, from, from the individual. I think it's a tough ask, though. I think it's a tough ask for salespeople who are already so uh, inundated, uh, you know, bogged down by all of the things that they have uh, to deliver uh, for them to then make time for that self-growth and that self-learning because, you know, and, and actually just do it all by themselves. Um, now, I mean, you know, arguably, I would say that's one of the hallmarks of a great salesperson, you know, is actually putting your, uh, being in charge of your own learning and development. And, you know, that's something that I wholeheartedly, you know, for myself do, um, you know, that from the fact that, you know, as a salesperson and a sales leader, you know, I'm doing my master's in occupational and business psychology, you know, for that reason, not because someone's asked me to, definitely not a sales, um, uh, you know, course uh, or anything that, you know, anyone in my sales career has suggested that I do at all, ever. But that was my own kind of first for, for knowledge of wanting to understand why is it that people behave the way that they do? What makes one salesperson more successful over another? 
um, what makes us someone buy a product or service or not. Um, you know, so those are things that I have just always been uh, pretty obsessed about myself uh, as, a, as a salesperson, as a sales leader, because I'm always wanting to to drive high performance, uh, both in myself, but also, you know, for my team as well. So, you know, I've kind of adopted that, uh, I guess, self-learning growth mindset myself. Yeah, so I think it's really important for salespeople. I certainly have adopted that myself, you know, in terms of uh, having that growth mindset, that learning kind of mindset. Um, you know, every day is a school day, as far as I'm concerned, I learn something new every day. Um, so it's, um, but, you know, and those are those are some of the uh, habits of highly successful people, uh, not just salespeople, just highly successful people across the board. And I'm sure everyone's familiar with Carol Dweck's work in this space around growth mindset. Um, and, and if you're not, I'd definitely familiarize yourself with some of her TED talks. Um, which are which are quite accessible in this space, but you know I think it it all kind of comes down to um, whether you understand uh, or even want to understand some of those things that I mentioned. You know what is it? You know, so are you someone who's actually just ticking the boxes when it comes to sales, or is it something that you're really passionate about? Uh, is it something that you want to, to uh, be really successful in, that you want to have a career in, that you want to excel in, that you want to progress in, uh, that you want to help others progress in, but more importantly, that you want to do it in the right way? I mean, I think, you know, for me, I'm just constantly on this mission to try and turn that sort of, uh, we talked about at the start, the, the shoddy perception of sales and it kind of, you know, that's why it kind of irks me every time I see people kind of saying things that kind of go against, you know, um, the, I guess, integrity I feel that the, the profession should have uh, and rightly deserves to have because it's all about helping people. But yeah, it's positioned as something that's you know, untrustworthy or, you know, manipulative and, um, you know, very self-serving. Uh, whereas in fact, actually, it should be the, the total opposite uh, because it's about serving others. Sales is all about serving others. It's all about customer service. Um, and, you know, but in order to, to really um, understand that, you need to understand, you know, your buyers. So, you know, what's going on for your buyer? What is their core motivation for wanting to buy your product or service um, you know what needs might they be trying to meet uh, what are the things throughout the sales process you know even when we just look at emotions you know the basic you know human you know physiological psychological uh, makeup of every human being what what's the emotional cycle that a buyer goes on uh, as they go through that sales process with you, what journey are you taking them on? How are you positively or negatively impacting your buyer? Um, you know, who, by the way, is another human being. So how are you positively or negatively impacting another human being to either buy or not buy your product? And, and there are so many benefits to understanding that um, you know, when we even talked about that trust piece and the likability piece and, you know, there's loads of research. I mean, you know, uh, David Hoffeld uh, wrote a whole book on science of selling, you know, one of my favorite books. And, you know, he talked about 53% of um, customer loyalty is driven by the salesperson's behavior with trust being a key component of that. 
you know, how do you, how do you, how do you um, uh, deliver trust or how do you create trust? Uh, you know, when you look at the trust equation, you know, it's the whole intimacy and reliability and authenticity and then, you know, over kind of serving your customer, um, you know, looking at the trust equation, you know, how do you, you know, the likability aspect within that, which I think is undermined and underplayed, uh, you know, how you get someone to like you, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that, that's a whole, you know, other question as well. So there are so many factors, psychological components to the sales process that are ignored within the traditional sales training model. Um, and, you know, we don't all need to be psychologists, right? So I'm not saying to everyone, okay, run off and like, you know, start a master's in psychology or do a degree or, you know, it's, that's why what I'm trying to do and no doubt what you're trying to do is trying to through, you know, we're doing the work, we're doing the hard grafting, I, you know, I'm doing the degree, I'm doing the research, I'm doing the, you know, the dissertation and the thesis, I'm doing all of that so that I can actually uh, make buyer and seller psychology more accessible for the average salesperson and it's not just about you know i'm sure there are there are other ways that you can access um information you know online youtube ted talks etc you just kind of need to know where to look but you need to have um it, it then needs to be self-directed right so you then in some cases it's quite a hard ask i think for salespeople because you're asking them to try and find something that they may not know you don't know what you don't know you know, and because it's such a new area, because it's such a new concept, I guess, for salespeople to kind of get their head around, um, they could quite easily, you know, either end up going to the wrong type of information or uh, go down a rabbit hole that kind of takes them nowhere. So it's, I think, a bit of a, a bit of a hard task to uh, to make it completely self-directed. I think the the sales leaders and sales organisations do have a responsibility um to um to to kind of provide their sales teams with more of these types of um uh you know either workshops courses information you know just making it more accessible for them yeah what, what i want to get into is some simple tactics that they can use to at least start the process right and and uh you know i appreciate that it's quite difficult for a lot of salespeople to do that You've got to have the trait of a self-learner. Um, it's going to take some time. There might be some trial and error. Um, but I, I, I think the first thing that a salesperson can do is to speak to the customers themselves. Mm -hmm. So either directly, if they have the capacity to do so, and if it's part of their role, they should absolutely, absolutely do that. It's mm -hmm. criminal that they wouldn't if that's part of their role. Mm -hmm. But even if it's not, you have your account managers, you have your marketing team, you have your CEO and the leadership who hopefully will have those kind of answers. If not, that's a red flag. Mm. But, um, you know, it, and, and as you say, it, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. You don't mm. really need to know psychology. All you need to do is ask the buyer and say, tell me, tell me about the last time that you had a good, great sales experience and what made that such a great buying experience with mm. the seller. And when you had a really bad one. And, you, you know, find out what the buying process is or what you understand to be the buying process for your types of products or services. And then simply ask your buyers, how do you feel when you go through those processes? Mm. How do you feel at this stage? How do you feel at that stage? You know, what do you hate about this stage? What do you like about that stage? And, and you're not going to get the answer in a one hour conversation. This is something that you are going to progressively 2% 
improvements at every time kind of build that picture just like a jigsaw puzzle. So I think it's something that salespeople can very easily, not very easily, but it, it, it's straightforward. It doesn't necessarily mean easy, but just, you know, just ask your buyers. You have, you have a wealth of information there that you can tap into. There isn't much freedom and an ability offered to them to do so. I get that because they were being asked to do something ridiculous, like a hundred cold calls a day to get a measly one or two appointments, right? Which, which is hugely ineffective. Um, but I, those were my thoughts there. I, you know, I, I don't know if you have any others because I really want our, our listeners to walk away with at least step one or two that they can start looking into to help them on this journey. I think that will, so that's that sort of approach is really going to depend on the nature of sales, because obviously sales is quite broad. Uh, so it kind of depends on what kind of industry and what type of salesperson you are, and also what kind of relationship you have with the salesperson. So in order to ask um, your, your buyer, I've done this myself, actually, um, with a buyer that you know I had a very good relationship with and who trusted me you know implicitly and we did uh, this way before I even set up sales psych and we did have a conversation might have been one of the one of the um uh conversations that actually inspired me you know to kind of uh go down the route that I did but uh you know where I did kind of ask her you know what is it that what is it that makes you want to buy from from one salesperson over another um and but the thing is I had that relationship with her to be able to do that you know we met for a coffee uh we met for a lunch um so not everybody has the relationship to do that um the time to do that uh because actually they've just secured a meeting you know after two months with this client so they've got like a list as long as their arm of all the agenda points they need to get through um and if they don't have that relationship or that trust to kind of then start asking those kind of questions about how someone feels um you know about you know whether it's a good experience or a bad experience and those kind of things can feel quite intrusive right for, for for someone who doesn't have that relationship with you it's an interesting one I think um you know and interestingly the, the when I did have that conversation with that buyer she also said uh, the thing that made her um <laughs> buy over one person over another was uh, how much she liked them um and trust as well you know obviously kind of implicitly implied and and in simple terms she said if I like them um I give them more of my time uh, so they are exposed to more opportunities, uh, whereas it doesn't mean if she doesn't like them, she if they, she still needs to work with them, she'll still work with them. But they it, it's more on a tighter leash. Right. It's kind of like <laughs> a, more of a transactional kind of uh, relationship <laughs> uh, down to the bare minimum. Right. So, mm. uh, yeah, I've, I've got to say, I, 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 I see where you're coming from. I have a slightly different view. So, so I may challenge you on this one. I have a slightly different view because. I think almost every single B2B company out there must have at least a handful of customers that they have or clients they have a good relationship with. I hope can, so. I hope so, right? They can <laughs> ask that kind of question. So this is not about every single salesperson. Yeah. This is about, are we as a business um, in, uh, raising our intelligence and, and our knowledge on the customers, which we can then disseminate to everyone? Okay, um, yeah. So yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Even if it's not the salesperson, maybe... I mean, hopefully salesperson, but marketing have a role to play in that. Yeah. Even product development have a role yeah. to play with that. The yeah. leaders better have a role to play with that. Yeah. Otherwise, that is, a, as I said before, a big red flag. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I agree with you 
Um, it depends, absolutely depends on the relationship. Absolutely yeah. depends on the comfort level of the buyer as well. I would say in terms of then, you know, kind of what's the thing that, you know, so yes, I think if it's at an individual salesperson level, I think it's a, it's a hard ask unless you have that relationship. Uh, and what, depending on what type of, you know, kind of industry you're in, um, like cold calling is very different to relationship management in an account management type of situation. So, so yeah, so I think, you know, uh, of course, if you have that natural curiosity, you're self uh, motivated and, and you, you have that growth mindset and you, you know, like I said, I, I had it naturally. So I would ask these questions naturally where I had the opportunity. It wasn't with an agenda. It was just curiosity. I just wanted to know, just, you know, and so, so yes, of course, you know, I would encourage salespeople to do that if they have the opportunity to do that. I think then as an organization though, as the leadership, as the, uh, you know, um, whether it's a sales leader or whether it's marketing or insights or whatever, within that mechanism of, you know, customer centricity, as we talked about, within that mechanism of gathering customer feedback, uh, which every organization, I'd be amazed if they don't gather in some shape or form nowadays, usually quite transactional, usually quite service orientated, price orientated, you know, some kind of rating on, you know, how well we did and all that kind of stuff. But if there's a way of building in some conversation, uh, sorry, some questions into that existing or pre-existing um, customer feedback mechanism, you know, which could very easily ask, you know, exp you know describe your best sales experience uh, with us, um you know and why uh you know describe your worst sales experience with us and why uh you know and asking some of those types of questions um which are less transactional and actually are more uh going to be more informative on the kind of um you know the emotions the motivations the needs the psychology of of the customers that would be really helpful uh, so i would definitely start there with existing kind of feedback mechanisms rather than trying to kind of do something totally new that may not happen uh, it's yeah. probably easier quicker win i think that way uh, agreed agreed and and you know as a salesperson even if you can't ask those questions because of the circumstances you've described i would i would hope and there's always a way if you can ask those people in your business that either should have the answer or are part of seeking that answer yeah you know, lobby them to get those questions injected in there because it's in everyone's interest to make sure that sales are doing a better job mm -hmm. um so th th this th the time has flown by here Huma, and, and we didn't even get to cover the seller's mindset oh, yeah. and psychology that that is for me an area that is so vital and when someone yeah. talks to me about how do you improve sales performance the first thing i say is forget all the training programs deal with the the the, the four elements of a human being mm -hmm. mind body heart spirit mm -hmm. because you can give them all the tools in the world, but if those four things are not in the right place, they'll end up picking up a screwdriver to hammer a hammer a nail into something, right? It's yeah. just not, they're gonna use the wrong thing. So maybe we'll invite you to, to another another episode, again, another show so that we can, uh, we can cover that. Delve into that. Delve um, into the salesperson's mindset more, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, but there are a couple of questions I, I just wanna quickly ask you then just to wrap up. First one is, if there was one thing that you wish that you had learned or appreciated earlier in your life, what would that be? And it may not be sales related. I actually wish I had uh, studied psychology a lot earlier 
So I, I'm kind of a bit late to the party, uh, you know, so and also had to take a break because I had a baby in between. Um, but I think it would have, I've always been fascinated, as I said, uh, around the human psychology of people, um, both in and out of work, you know, so it's, it's not just a, a work related um, topic or interest. And I think, you know, had I have actually studied it earlier when I did my degree instead of just doing business um I uh which also helped um but uh, I think it would have helped me answer the kind of 101 questions that I had as I progressed throughout my career and definitely would have helped me navigate some of those more trickier leadership and um client challenges that I sort of faced along my sales career so um you know and that like i said that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now um you know and i appreciate that not everyone can go off and do a degree in psychology and doesn't necessarily have to but um yeah i think for me that's the thing that i would have it would it would have just helped in my mind context a lot of the things that i experienced um along the way which now i can kind of go ah oh. <laughs> so that's what that was about or you know that was related to you know I can sort of package it up in my you know sort of uh, uh, in my own head now as oh right so that was because of like my mindset that was because of my beliefs or that was because that person's limiting beliefs or that was because of that experience or that you know I can kind of understand that a bit more coherently now I think yeah well I I would argue that uh raising a child is a, is a is a quick practical way of learning psychology if you're willing to be open to observe listen and and learn right so very interesting and uh, if there was one thing that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from this discussion um or, or one thing that you feel is so vital that they should take away from we may have not discussed it mm. what, what would that be i think it's about i want sales leaders to kind of be more open-minded, I guess, in understanding the benefits of um, what we're talking about in terms of, you know, why seller mindset is so important, why buyer mindset or buyer psychology is so important. Um, And I I get it even from my own conversations, um, you know, with clients and and prospects, etc., you know, because despite the numerous scientific studies out there that, you know, do support what we're talking about, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. Um, As a sales leader myself, you know, uh, we are driven, targeted and measured on delivering a return on investment. Right. So um, and anything with a psychological component Uh, can be harder to measure for uh, an organization, particularly when when the output is sales revenue and there are so many other variables that influence sales revenue, right? So it can be done, right? So the thing is, it's not that it can't be done. It can be done. There are many scientific studies that show it can be done. It just requires setting up the right controls, uh, you know, just to measure that that ROI in the first place. But of course, if the organization wants it specifically for their organization, that can be time consuming and more costly to set up for individual organizations. So most organizations just kind of end up relegating it to that too hard or uh, nice to have box um, and kind of trundle on back at, you know, uh, down the traditional sales training problem. I've got a problem with sales performance. Oh, you know, let me just throw some negotiation skills training at it. It's not going to work. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I've seen time and time again, you know, people tell me that they need 
uh, sales training or negotiation training or objection handling training. And even when they've had the training, they still don't do what they were meant to do, or I've seen them fall apart in front of my eyes in a negotiation. Okay, that is not down to skills or lack of skills or lack of skills-based training. They know what to do. They're not doing it because of the stuff that's going on up here. And if we don't address that, and if we don't include that or understand that within the, 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 the makeup of what we what we provide salespeople with and equip salespeople with, which kind of goes back to the seller mindset piece, um, then, you know, I think you're, you're kind of not only setting yourself as a business up for fail, but, you know, also the, the individuals that you're bringing into the organization. Uh, you know, we're not talking about everybody. This isn't just about people failing. This is all about how you actually take average performance to higher level performance, right? So you, it's not just about people who are underperforming, um you know as most you know training initiatives tend to be focused on this is actually just about how do you even get people who are kind of here going going further than they can how do you unlock the potential to get them to move further um you know up to higher performance yeah really interesting really interesting how can um how can our viewers and listeners learn more about you connect with you well, hopefully we'll share some of those details in uh, with with this. But yeah, you can start by visiting my website, www.sellsite.co.uk, or um, you know you can email me. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well, Instagram. So we can share all of those. Um, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, um, and I'm always happy to just have a chat. You know, because it is a new area, and I, you know, I'm more than happy to just talk to people about it. You know, yeah. and understand. I've had so many conversations with with prospects and clients telling me that what they think they need and actually when when we talk about it we kind of always end up down uh, it's it's the, the challenge they're experiencing is not a skills-based issue which is what they initially think it is it usually always comes down to there's some kind of psychological barrier or there's some kind of uh, psychological component to it yeah, fair. No, and we will we will leave those links in the uh, in the show notes so that people can access them. Uh, so, Huma, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and, and learning from you. Um, and I'm I'm sure that our viewers and listeners have learned a ton here. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we we should probably have you again in order to discuss the uh, seller seller psychology for sure. Excellent. No, it's been fantastic. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. <laughs> Thank you again, Huma.